Outlaws and Scorned Women is intended for entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this show should ever be construed as actual legal advice. Also, it is chock full of adult content, so we do recommend a little bit of listener discretion. didn't um, include myself in the category initially when I heard my daughter a few times say all the Karens are like <laughs> all the Karens. and then all the Karens, all the Karens. <gasps> oh that brutal child of mine yeah but yeah, like, we're the Karens in her mind to the, oh everybody is the Karen in someone else's story that's right there you go embrace your inner Karen. Sometimes Karen is just trying to get some shit done and she is not going to take shit from some 12, 13 or 14 year old. Right. The fucking roving pack of feral children in my neighborhood. The other day we went out front because we were walking my cat Okay. because that's what I'm doing with my quarantine. I got a little cat harness and I take my forever indoor cats to explore the outside. Uh, And everybody (laughs) in the house finds this to be the most charming thing that's ever happened. So we're all out front. So the roving pack of feral children saw us and they were like, <gasps> and they come glumphing towards us. just, And like, yeah. these, these are nine, 10, 11 year old boys. And we see them coming and one of them goes, I've got Corona. They're coming towards us. Oh my they God. Come. And Lucas and I both like unleashed our Karen and went, stop. <laughs> like full, <laughs> full Gandalf, you shall not pass. That is not as even close as to my heart as you get. Stop. And with the power of our of our voices, of our bellowing voices, made them stop at my property line. But like, no, stay the hell away from me, especially if you're going to scream that you have Corona on your way over, you wretched, vile little squirrel monkeys. That is a legitimate time to bring out the dragon lady. All right, Wanda Holloway, man. Yeah, okay. Um, so we should intro the show. Oh. And then uh, and then we'll actually... Let's <laughs> try it. It's just so nice to talk to an adult I'm who's so... not related to me. I'm happy to hear or from Or married you. to me. It's just good to see another face. Also, like, you're good company. I wouldn't just be anybody. But anyway. Oh, <laughs> hold on. I'm keeping that. It's on the record. It's on the record. Stitch it on a pillow. Also, it's your good company, I guess. <laughs> okay i'm gonna i'm gonna intro this shit here we go ready Let's do it <clears throat> i got it i need to find my show voice hello <laughs> hello hello oh hello, hello welcome voice. back ladies telephone <laughs> and gents hey god damn it shut up <laughs> <clears throat> stop it hey everybody welcome back to outlaws and scorned women the podcast that explores the criminal history of the great state of texas i'm stephanie i am a grown-up theater kid satisfying my deep-seated need for an audience by making a podcast with my friend oh that would be me that's you that's me that's you you should talk now (laughs) i'm so good at this i'm stephanie fellow podcaster um mom lawyer and current shelter in placer um yeah welcome back yeah yeah. good to see you guys or hear from you guys or be talk to them that's the one um so uh we both grew up in texas and we grew up in Texas in the 90s. Yes, were you around oh, in the I 90s? I definitely was. Yeah. I had a lot more energy. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah, just days at a time. Sleep schmeep. Here we go. <laughs> um, and anyway, because we grew up in Texas, and particularly because we grew up in Texas in the 90s, we grew up with this story. Everybody who grew up in Texas knew this story. Also, shout out, we have a bunch of new listeners. I don't know if I told you about this. Um, so uh, I went to a high school in the Houston area. And uh, recently, a bunch of us from my high school theater department got together on a Zoom call. Many shenanigans were had and it came out because they could see my microphone on oh. screen. They were like, what's with the fancy fucking microphone, Stephanie? And I'm like, I'm gonna have a podcast. <gasps> what? A podcast. <clears throat> so uh, there are a bunch of new listeners to hopefully this episode from CLHS. Hi, guys. And uh, so they also all grew up with this story. Well, heck yeah. Yeah. So hi. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, 
the story that I'm talking about is the story of Wanda Holloway, the pom-pom murder mom. Oh, yeah. The thing is, this story, like, this was the blueprint. Like, we knew this story just was the example. It was the case that showed us how important cheerleading is in the state of Texas. We take it pretty god darn seriously. It's very serious. And, like, when Cheer came out on Netflix, I think people were, in general, outside of Texas, shocked. Shocked! How is it such a big deal? It's just cheerleading. Just cheerleading. Oh, you did not. Excuse the fuck out of you. Just cheerleading. This this story was um notorious. It's got everything. <laughs> it really it has, does. It's got big hair. It's got cheerleaders. It's got hyper competitive suburban suburban moms in their natural environment taking shit way too fucking far. <laughs> like epic woo. bangs and shoulder pads for days. The bright blazer. <laughs> the the like primary color with the block but the oh, thing God. the real thing was the perm and the tease up right. on just the front of the bangs only the front we don't care about the back it looks like a drive-through drive-in theater screen it's like a wave on the front of your face yes like the shit crests over yes. oh so good anyway so yeah buckle up buttercups let's get into this Definitely uh, the teasing. You had to tease up a layer underneath because we didn't have bumpets back then. That's right. You got to tease it up. And I would like to point out, I watched Cheer at your repeated urging, <laughs> and those girls don't use bumpets. Yeah. They go at it old school. They are teasing up their hair. Oh. Because the higher the hair, the closer to God. <laughs> that's, they're, they're <laughs> close to Dallas, and that's how you do. <laughs> that's how you must do. They will. They can. They must. I don't. <laughs> they can, they must, they will. <laughs> there you they go. can, they must, they will. <laughs> I fucking love that show. We'll talk about it later. <clears throat> so anyway, this story is not about the Navarro. Uh, what is it? Cheer team? The Bulldogs? It's not, it's not about the Navarro cheer team. Uh, it is. This story takes place near Houston. Now, let me set the geographic stage a little bit here. If you start in Houston itself, where it is just just sick with culture and money, like in the middle of Houston downtown, where it's all museums and art district and billion dollar deals. Like Houston is this little uh, bright, shiny spot in the middle. Now, if you from Houston turn south uh, and you start heading down that way, you'll get to the Gulf Coast, to Galveston, to beaches of debatable beauty. Um, <laughs> That's very generous. I mean... If it's the only beach you've known, it's gorgeous. If you've ever been anywhere else, look, it's just, the Mississippi is not far away. It's a big river with a big delta. That is some muddy, muddy water out there. <laughs> Say it. Anyway, um, then uh, if you start in Houston and you turn west, there is a long, long stretch of I-10 uh, that is like dotted with quaint little towns all the way to San Antonio. Uh, if you turn north, you start getting into some really gorgeous piney woods. It's all horse country up there. It's lovely. But then if you start in Houston and you turn east, you get the Houston Ship Channel and gas and oil refineries as far as the eye can see until you hit Beaumont and then you're getting into Louisiana. And I don't really know what happens after that. <laughs> well, there's uh, Lake Charles and there's Baton Rouge and then there's New Orleans. Uh, oh, okay. I mean, just keep driving. <laughs> we could just take a tour of I-10 all the way to the coastline. Let's not do that. So the Houston Ship Channel is kind of a big damn deal. Um, it is. I have some stats on the Houston Ship Channel. Just a few. Uh, it is one of the busiest ports in the world. Uh, it is yeah. currently rated the sixth busiest port in the United States. So that's taking into account like L.A., everything in New York. It is an enormous port um, of all of the shipping, import and export of the entire Gulf Coast of the United States, which is from the tip of Florida all the way up the coastline across Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, the entire Texas coast of all of that. Guess what percentage of it goes through the Houston Ship Channel? Sixty nine percent. We are 12. Um, <laughs> so the Houston Ship Channel is a big and extremely industrial phenomenon. Yes. So 
Well, we are big energy in Texas. Yeah. Like all of the oil that Texas is famous for, that is all moving through the ship channel. It is all being refined and packed up in that area. So this is the environment from which uh, the seed that was Channel View, Texas grew. It's there sort of basking in the fragrant glow of gas refinery fires that pop off like hell's birthday candles across the landscape. It's awful. Oh, the smell. There is is a smell to the air. There, yes. I mean, yes. It, it wafts pretty far mm-hmm. out in every direction, depending on the wind. I saw a quote from a Channel View resident saying, we don't trust air we can't take a bite out of and chew. <laughs> that's like, amazing. That's the level of pollution that they are accustomed and acclimated to. And Channel View is named Channel View because it has a view of the ship channel. So... Uh, The population of Channel View at the time of our story, which is the late 80s, early 90s, was about 26,000. And Channel View was, is, and probably always will be an aggressively unpretentious town. They are true blue collar. Most everybody in Channel View works at the same refineries. So most everybody's got the same income. So if anybody around town seems to be spending a little extra money on something a little extra fancy. Maybe they got an expensive car or they go shopping for designer clothes at the Galleria in Houston instead of the little mall that's right there in Channel View. They are going to get treated to the classic Texas backhanded passive aggressive bless your heart compliments. Oh, honey. Uh huh. Doesn't she just look so put together on Sunday and every other day? You know, <laughs> shit like oh, that. I love that in the catalog. <laughs> <laughs> the the southern passive aggressiveness is powerful in small town texas and frankly everywhere so let's take wanda holloway uh the star of our show wanda holloway she grew up wanda webb in the rougher part of channel view she was the daughter of a concrete plant worker and a high school lunch lady she played piano in her family's baptist church but she always wanted to better herself so she was like taking business classes and stuff like that in high school Uh, and she really really wanted to try out for the cheerleading squad but her very conservative baptist father said no he forbade it so fine she uh, has got her eye on better things, on improving herself. So she marries Tony Harper because Tony Harper's family owns three gas stations and a boutique in Channel View. So she's marrying up. That's fancy. Climbing on up that ladder. Uh, Wanda and Tony have two kids. They have their son, Shane, who she named after. Do you ever see the West, that old classic Western, <gasps> Shane? I mean, we all know about Shane. Yeah. With the little kid going, Shane, come back, Shane. Did you ever see The Negotiator? No, I did not. Ah, well, there's a whole exchange between Kevin Spacey and Samuel L. Jackson's character about how they interpret the end of the movie, Shane. Okay. If I can stand to watch another movie with Kevin Spacey in it, I might check I it know. out. I know. As soon as I said it, because I thought about the reference to Shane, I was like, oh, yeah, but, it, you know, there's that whole thing. No, he's everywhere. He, he's retroactively ruined so many things. <laughs> I, I love The Usual Suspects. I adore L.A. Confidential. But now it's like, ew. I mean, so ew. many good movies. Meh. Okay. <clears throat> Getting back to it. Anywho, Shane. So Shane, her son, is named after the character Shane from the movie. And then they had a daughter named Shanna because Wanda liked one movie (laughs) a whole, whole lot. I really wonder how she interpreted the end of that movie. (laughs) You can ask her. She's still around. Um, So Wanda, at this stage in her life, is being described by other people in Channel View as she dressed so nice. She puts herself together so well. There's a lot of side eye on Wanda for her manicures and her little Liz Claiborne purses and her not bought off the rack outfits. Like, uh, basically everything that the residents of Channel View had to say about her was a roundabout way of saying that she was a pretentious, snooty ass bitch who thought she was better than everybody. She comes at you. She, Yeah. What what are you doing? What's that face? Oh, no. I was sorry for jumping in. I'm just so excited to hear you tell this story. <laughs> I was like, she's coming at you with her big bangs and her shoulder pads. And I'm like, calm down, Stephanie. 
She's got it, man. Like Wanda worked a lot of style. She was always like on the cutting edge of it. And and she made sure that Shanna was at the peak of all style, too. You remember how in the like the late 80s, early 90s, there wasn't really kids clothes like once, especially once you started growing boobs, all there was for for like 11, 12, 13 year old girls was smaller versions of adult clothing. And like there was you couldn't just T-shirt and jeans. It had to be like. Like your mom's uh, matching pantsuit and stuff like that. Like that's that's my memory of the style at the time. And Wanda did that. She made her her she and her daughter have matching outfits. Oh. Like there was a real blurring of the lines between Wanda's life and Shanna's life. Love it. So anyway, Tony, uh, for all that his family was fairly well to do and they owned multiple businesses, he was not an ambitious man. He was content with his blue collar lot in life. So um, they divorced fairly amicably in 1980. And Wanda got custody of Shane and Shanna. Okay. So then Wanda proceeds to keep shopping for uh, to land herself a rich ass husband. And she has two more marriages before she finally lands on C.D. Holloway. She's, he's a man 20 years older than her who owns his own oil field service company. And as we have explored in previous episodes of this show, once you get in good with the oil industry in Texas, you are pretty much set for life. You are going to do well and you are going to be a wealthy man. So Wanda has finally married a man whose means coincide with her living. <laughs> So, hey, check that off her bucket list. Got herself a rich husband. She's got one more thing she wants to do. She wants to achieve a long, unfulfilled dream. Unfulfilled? Unfulfilled. Did you hear that? I heard it. Unfulfilled. She wants to achieve a dream. You tell it. Tell it. (laughs) I think I over-Texas right then. I reached critical mass. I need to bring it it back in a little bit. Easy girl, bring it back. Let's let's practice our mid-Atlantic accent for a little bit. Generic Midwest. Um, anyway, she was going to achieve her dream, her lifelong dream of being a cheerleader because cheer is just that big in Texas. That kind of dream just clings to you well into adulthood because Wanda is what? Too old to be trying to become a cheerleader now. But she has a teenage daughter, Shanna. I found a quote from her uh, ex-husband at this point, Tony, saying she couldn't be a cheerleader but she could be a cheerleader's mom. Oh, she could totally be a cheer mom. And oh, yeah. That is a serious business. It is a cutthroat focused, like, oh, it is a business. And Wanda goes full on cheer mom, like where, where they stand in the sidelines and watch their children practice with this intensity. And they just hound coaches and stuff like she went for it. And uh, she wanted Shanna to get into a particular cheer squad at Alice Johnson Middle School. In Channel View. Shanna at the time was attending a private Christian school. So Wanda goes to pull Shanna out of her uh, private Christian school uh, and has her enrolled into Alice Johnson Junior High so that she can try out and campaign to be elected into the cheerleader squad. Um, I'll admit I don't know a lot about this process and I did declined to research deeply into it. <laughs> Cheers a big deal, but I do not need to know the intricacies of this process if this is the normal way that things operate at the junior high level where girls have to campaign for three days to get voted onto the cheerleading squad, making it absolutely a popularity contest. But whatever, whatever, we move, uh, we move on. Wanda wants Shanna to get this with the fiery passion of a thousand hells. So, She gets Shanna enrolled into private cheerleading lessons. She has Shanna go to gymnastics and a tumbling program at Alpha Gymnastics, which has just recently opened because cheerleading has only just at this stage, this is like 1989, 1990, has only just started becoming a serious gymnastics sport and not just like rah, rah, sis, boom, ba on the sidelines. So cheerleaders have to be able to tumble. They have to be able to to pull off fantastic feats of gymnastics to even qualify to be considered. So she's got her enrolled in gymnastics classes. Are you okay? Yeah. Are you being snuck up upon? No, I'm hearing a cat. And I was like, I'm not at your house. Why am I hearing There's no a cat. cat? I know it's outside. There's no cat in here. There's a cat oh, outside my house. That's very weird. Let me in. It's not actually there. It's a serial killer. They put a recorder with a cat meowing. Don't go after it. I will not. I will not investigate strange sounds in the night. Don't. I'm social distancing. No. Sorry, killers. <laughs> Sorry, Satan. Another day not after the pandemic. <laughs> anyway, 
So there was another girl who's also taking classes at Alpha Gymnastics. Her name is Amber Heath. Amber and Shanna are the same age. They go to the same Christian private school. They are both pretty. They are both popular, well-dressed, involved in student government, even. Amber is the president of the student body. Shanna's the vice president. Like, they know each other, but they're not really good friends. Probably because they're sensing the simmering tension in between their mothers. I don't know. Anyway, they are practically the same girl, with one notable exception. Shanna had never actually really been all that into cheerleading, while Amber had been raised by her mama, Verna Heath, who, I shit you not, comes from a long, illustrious line of baton twirlers. Amber had been a cheerleader practically from the womb. So, Shanna is enrolled at... Alice Johnson Junior High. I'm hereafter referred to as the junior high because, my God, that's a lot of words. <laughs> and and she's got to start campaigning mm-hmm. to be – they've got three days to campaign to get onto the cheerleading squad. Wanda had made sure to pull Shanna out of her private school and enroll her in the junior high in time to be able to qualify for this. Verna left Amber in the private Christian school and managed to convince – the sponsors of the junior high cheerleading squad to let her let Amber campaign, even though she wasn't a student yet at Alice Johnson. The violations. So Amber's there. She's campaigning. She's there immediately after school. She's handing out little flyers with little peppermint candies taped to them and just working it and working it. Wanda is pissed. Livid. She's so pissed. She's furious. She complains to the school board. She complains to the cheer sponsor. She complains to the parents of all of the students that she can get her hands on at this junior high, telling the parents to tell their children not to vote for, quote unquote, the outsider. And imagine how likable all of that makes you. <laughs> imagine how likable that makes your daughter <laughs> oh my by God. association. Oh my God. So of course... After all of this, with with Wanda just burning down the walls about this and Amber just pouring on the friendliness campaign, obviously, we get to the election time. There's two slots. There's three girls. Amber gets it. Shanna doesn't. Wanda, in her vengeful fury, gets her husband, her wealthy husband, who is on, I think, the band committee for that school to start throwing his yes. weight around. He harasses the school board until they change the cheerleading campaign rules so that outsiders cannot do that. Next time. But <laughs> it's too late for this year. And by the next year, it's so silly because by the next year, Amber is and had already been for a year a student at the school. Uh-huh. But whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh-huh. So we get to the next year. Wanda has had an entire year to stew and plot and plan about what her tactics are going to be, what what she's going to do to get her daughter onto this cheerleading squad. She has rulers and pencils made and printed with Vote Shanna Harper for Cheerleader on them. And she uh, makes Shanna start giving them out at school. Well, the school takes them all back up. And tells her, you cannot hand those out. It's against the new rules that you forced us to make last year. <gasps> you are now violating those rules. And Wanda says, well, fuck that. And she starts giving them out again anyway. Oh, even though she's already had her hand slapped by the school board and by the cheerleader sponsor. Well, we cannot be having these kind of shenanigans in small town Texas cheerleading. The cheer sponsor calls a meeting. That is a scandal. Oh, yeah. No, the bitch has gone too far. So the cheer sponsor calls a meeting and gets all the parents of all the other cheerleaders together. And they sit down. They call Wanda into this meeting. They call her to the carpet about this violation of handing out her pencils and her rulers. And they vote the sponsors and all the parents. And they vote to disqualify Shanna from being able to try out that year. And Verna, Verna Heath, Amber's mother was in that meeting and she voted to disqualify Shanna. I mean, cue the cue, the Kill Bill sirens, right? <laughs> Wee-boo, Wee-boo. Seeing There's red. Wanda with like, yeah, it's just whoosh, Wanda with flames. Flames, flames on the side of her face. On the sides of her face. <laughs> heaving, heaving breaths. At this point, poor Shanna doesn't even want to try out anymore. Oh. Which, in Wanda's mind, makes it even worse. There is only one 
proportional response to this <laughs> extreme insult to Wanda Holloway. Verna Heath and her daughter Amber need to die. <laughs> there will be blood in Channel View. <laughs> I mean, it's so good because you cannot make that up. You can't. Who the fuck does this? Oh. Whew. Okay. So Wanda doesn't just think it. Wanda puts it into action because Wanda's a go-getter <laughs> and she makes things happen. So Wanda knows that she wants them dead and she knows that she doesn't want to do it herself. But Wanda is not a mob boss. Wanda is not a drug lord. <laughs> she doesn't know any hitmen. <laughs> I mean... But she does know Terry. Terry Harper is her first husband's brother, the uncle to her two children. Terry's a little rough around the edges. He's a construction worker. He lives in a trailer park. And he is also, bless her, the only person Wanda knows who's ever been arrested. Terry's had a few arrests for drunk driving. It's nothing major. He's not a criminal mastermind, but he's the only, he's the closest thing that she knows in her life. So she gets Terry to meet her at a convenience store, sits him down in her car and says, do you love your niece? And Terry's like, yes. And so then Wanda lays it out. She says that she wants Terry to kill Verna Heath and Amber Heath. And Terry gives her a firm hell no. He doesn't do stuff like that. And he definitely doesn't know anybody that would be willing to kill a 13-year-old girl. So no. And Wanda says, fine. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you later. And Terry just wants to walk away from this conversation and pretend it never happened. And everything is quiet until Christmas 1990. Terry is at Tony's house for Christmas. He's visiting with his niece and his nephew because Tony's got him for Christmas and they're all hanging out. It's lovely. I imagine Terry is like mid sugar cookie when his niece walks up to him. His niece, Shanna, walks up to him and says, my mama wants you to call her. And Terry's like, oh, wow. Puts puts down his cookie. I don't know if the cookie happened. I just I really want a cookie right now. Puts down his cookie and he calls Wanda. And Wanda tries to pressure him into either doing the murders himself or finding someone who will. And Terry tries to put her off. He's like, why don't you just let her try out? And then if she doesn't get it, she doesn't get it. There and is like, a thought. He's, yeah, he's unaware of the fact that, that Shanna can't, that she has been banned, I guess. But he's like, why don't we just not kill people over cheerleading? Can we just <laughs> not do that, Wanda? Or like maybe at all. But no, Wanda is adamant. You need to make this happen. So Terry just like, he hangs up and then he tells Tony what the fuck just happened. He's like, Tony, your ex-wife wants me to either kill two people or find somebody else to kill two people for her. And Tony says, you need to go to the police immediately. Which should have been Terry's the first response. Thought. I think Terry was just hoping against hope that it, she, it was like, her time of the month or something <laughs> and she right. was gonna it, it would pass but no it had not passed so terry calls the cops and he tells them all about his former sister-in-law trying to hire him to kill a woman and her daughter and the cops are like no shit really okay 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 and they don't quite believe that this is a thing so they fit terry with a wire they teach him how to record his phone calls. They give him some pointers as to, like, what would be the going price for that kind of murder so that he could draw Wanda into some conversation and maybe get her to incriminate herself on tape, right? So Terry calls Wanda, and they haggle over the price for these murders. Terry tells her, based on the recommendations from the police, that it would cost $2,500 to kill Verna and $5,000 to kill Amber because it should cost more to kill a teenage girl, twice as much at least, I guess. I don't know. Well, Wanda didn't want to spend that much. So <laughs> they settled. She finally settled. She thought it over because she had to like figure out the prices in her head and like what she could get away with paying that her husband wouldn't notice. And uh, she finally settled on just one murder, just Verna. Because 
In Wanda's logic, if Amber's mom got murdered, then Amber would be too distraught to be in cheerleading that year, and then Shanna would have a shot. That's right. So, let's kill her mom. So, Wanda met with Terry, and she handed over a pair of diamond earrings that were valued at about $2,500, and that was her payment to have Verna Heath murdered. All of this is recorded and overheard by Harris County Sheriffs. So, the next day, on January 30th, 1991, 37-year-old Wanda Holloway was arrested for attempting to hire someone to murder her daughter's cheerleading rival's mother. Hey, um, so would you care to read <gasps> this episode's review that, re- that uh, renews our faith in humanity? Because uh-huh. I believe you found one, screenshotted it, and sent it to me. I found a couple, and I was so thrilled that people left us nice feedback. This is what we like to do. We like to read a review because your reviews give us life. They, they breathe um, energy into our souls and renew our faith in humanity. So... Stephanie, okay. what do we got? Thank you so much. This call out goes to Lord Piggleton. <laughs> he says, must listen. Five stars. As a law student and true crime junkie, this podcast checks all my boxes. Captivating storytelling, hilarious banter, and legal explanations of how the case turned out the way it did. Boom. Never fails to brighten my day when I see a new episode is up. Oh. Thank you for brightening our day. Lord Piggleton. Oh. oh. All the love to Lord Piggleton. <laughs> so where the hell do you go with something like that? How do you even start to put that on trial? I'm hoping that you can shed some light on that because holy shit. Oh my gosh. So it's... What a story. So I love how um, we've talked about motive before, how motive uh-huh. is, you know. Um, Irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not an element of a crime, but it really does kind of establish the foundation for how mm-hmm. you're going to tell this story, the narrative of what happened. And this uh-huh. one, like the cops didn't want to believe it. You're like, <laughs> holy moly. I'm sorry. What? What is the charge here? Yeah. The the detectives were like, you realize that I work with drug kingpins. Right. Like, I, I, I've been undercover for 10 years with a cartel, and you're telling me that cheerleading is what? Yeah. Okay, fine, whatever. Like, they didn't want to believe it, but... But then they couldn't risk right. that this guy is fully with it and reporting <laughs> a, a crime in the making, and here we go. Mm. So, um, you know, from the outset, yeah, I'd like to, I'll tell you what I've read about the reporting on the trial but um, mm-hmm. she was charged with solicitation, a criminal solicitation. Okay. So that is um, in the penal code under the section um, called inchoate offenses. Inchoate. Inchoate. Yes, and it's spelled, it's such a weird word, I-N-C-H-O-A-T-E, but it is pronounced inchoate. It looks like it should be inchoate. I know, but it's not. Yeah, there All it right. is. Um, if you go to if you go to Google and look at where the act, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so okay. inchoate means like in the beginning stage or not fully formed. So we're talking mm-hmm. about kind of preliminary or unripened events, essentially, um, mm-hmm. and it's distinguished from a completed crime where the end objective mm-hmm. was met. And so here, okay. you can be charged with criminal conduct even if you don't accomplish. A particular criminal goal. So you can be charged with a crime even though you didn't actually commit that crime. Right. Or if you didn't finish it. Like attempted crimes are in that preparatory crimes. Oh, okay. So like attempted murder mm-hmm. is a crime. Right. And attempting to hire for murder is a crime. Solicitation of the murder, mm-hmm. even if the murder doesn't happen, even if mm-hmm. the um, hitman you just, uh, you know, bandied about doesn't even exist. Like, Right. You can be charged with solicitation. Conspiracy is another example in this section of the okay. criminal code. And so uh, I just thought it'd be good to point out that it's a category of crimes that deals with conduct, that um, it's in the initial stages, not far enough along 
but far enough along that mm. the elements can be established. It's basically the crime of committing acts in preparation or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the conduct of trying to commit a crime. Like you were gonna do yes. it. Yes. And so if we hadn't stepped in, it was gonna happen. That's right. And I mean, okay. there's part, there is um, a policy line drawing that occurs, you know, when mm-hmm. these types of things are outlawed. And it's the fact that, you know, so legislatures make decisions on what to make a crime. They outlaw behavior and then it's in a statute um, and mm-hmm. embedded in there are certain choices. Like the thinking here is, turns out the state doesn't want people planning to kill people, <laughs> right? You can criminalize. Don't even think about it. And so, right, like if you're just thinking about it and it doesn't manifest, yeah. I, there's no mm-hmm. there's no crime against the, the bad thought. But there yeah. is when you start getting into trying to induce another person to commit mm-hmm. murder. Um, so the thinking is um, at a certain point, it becomes substantial enough and it's harmful mm-hmm. to human life. So society has an interest in doing what it does, and that's protecting the citizens by saying, okay, up to this point, at a certain level of preparation, solicitation, Mm -hmm. that's a crime, and you're culpable, or, you know, you can be charged. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. yeah. The, um, and she she paid for it. She made a down she payment on it. Was trying to do it in installments. That's right. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so the the penal code section you would want to reference. Um, Text penal mm-hmm. code is section fifteen oh three. So oh, let me write that down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, in case, just in case. So I love it. I love the, it. The definition here, I think, the operative, um, the underlying crime that the mm-hmm. the trial revolved around was a person commits an offense. If mm-hmm. with intent that a capital felony or felony of the first degree be committed, he requests, commands, or attempts to induce another to engage in specific conduct that under the mm-hmm. circumstances surrounding his conduct as the actor believes them to be, i.e. not necessarily how they actually are, uh-huh. um, would constitute the felony, the other party mm-hmm. to its commission. And so here... We have uh, Wanda Holloway uh-huh. clearly attempting to induce oh, yeah. her ex-brother-in-law <laughs> into committing capital murder. Mm-hmm. Remember, murder for hire, it as is, we went over in yeah. the Westlake, that is a capital offense. In the Celeste Beard thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the fact that she didn't, you know, um, she could not use as a defense the fact that there was no hitman. Because if you'll notice, yeah. the mental state accompanies what she was attempting to induce and that she was trying to solicit murder. So yeah. when you're... It doesn't matter that he isn't actually a hitman. She treated him like one. That's right. Because she wanted him to be one. That's right. Okay. And so, um, the, and interestingly, and it doesn't it doesn't come up in this case because, because there were tapes... Um, <laughs> there was proof in the um section for inchoate crimes there is a defense mm-hmm. you can raise if you voluntarily renounce and abandon that plan so for instance if there was a tape where she was like i was off my meds or i i don't know what brief insanity i had but i we are not gonna do this i don't want to do this i'll call the cops we're done that was my evil twin, Wanda. You could tell her by the goatee. That's right. Then she That's could raise you know. <laughs> that defense. But as we'll find out here, no, I think there were six recordings of her mm-hmm. made. And in Really? Those, I didn't realize there was that many. And so there were six different conversations that were played at uh-huh. this trial that tended to confirm and corroborate <laughs> Terry Harper's um, view that she was attempting to induce him into committing this crime. And so, um, yeah, when I was looking at what would the the prosecution be, be focusing on, and it really is, I think, motive just weaves into this so hard when you have mm-hmm. Wanda's backstory and you have yeah. this idea of who she was and how she needed to mm-hmm. see herself. And so... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently the guilt-innocent phase was a week long. And mm-hmm. the jury, oh wow! the The jury consisted of eight men, four women, 
Mm-hmm. And they found her guilty of solicitation of murder. Um, okay. I don't know who you would want as a juror in this. Right. Um, I, I don't know. Like, how do you... I mean... I, I, I don't know much about jury selection anyway. But I, I can speculate that maybe an even split I mean, of of parents and you would want there to be parents in there yeah. like dads who can be horrified that maybe my wife would do something like this <laughs> moms who could be like uh no that is not how you mom i mean and maybe i don't know so interesting um i think though the prosecution's theory from what i read mm-hmm. is pretty straightforward she was she sought to have her rival's mother killed uh-huh. in an attempt to leave her too distraught to try out for cheerleading mm-hmm leaving an yeah. opening for her daughter to be on the team. I'm like, why not? Why not just Tanya Harding that shit? Why not just like take out the girl's knees? Why does it have to be murder? I mean, I'm just, oh, I'm not saying that, the, that that's taken out her knees is a good idea. It's just better than murder. So than killing her mom. And interesting you say that because in one of the recordings, it was reported that Harper said, you want her dead? And she said, I don't care what you do with her. You can keep her in Cuba for 15 years. Ah! I want her gone. (laughs) Wow. And so. Was he talking about the girl? No, that was, I think, the mom. But. It's still terrible. But. What? But the. Yeah. The point is. Why did. Why do you think the construction worker who lives in a trailer park in Channel View, Texas, has access to Cuba? So that is. It is pointed out that she clearly looked at him as like you know he he was a bit of a mess up he was a black sheep in his yeah, family yeah, yeah. so Absolutely. obviously having some sort of checkered past meant he had all of those unseemly connections <laughs> so the the evidence you have oh terry yeah you have terry harper and he is um certainly going to take the stand and say this mm-hmm. is what happened and then what he says is going to be corroborated by these recordings and so mm-hmm. then the jury is going to hear them and they're going to hear her voice. And, you know, she's enlisting him to hire a hitman. And in the recordings, the fact that she confirms everything he says, I'm sure, is very compelling. Yeah. And um, there's one point where she says, it's not that I don't want you to do it. I just have to get the money. And then the uh-huh. the I think um, so her intent was probably also evidenced by giving mm-hmm. those earrings that were 1.5 carat diamonds. Oh my. And um, I think you thought, um, you said they were worth about 2,500. I read somewhere that was else. That what I read. That, 1995. That so some range, a lot. Okay. I mean, it was yeah. a pretty, I mean, it was at least, it was a good down payment. Yes. It was a pretty substantial, you know, um, payment towards this. And I think the linchpin mm-hmm. in the prosecution's face, my um, case might have been Wanda's own testimony where they were able to elicit how much she hated Verna Heath. Oh, so okay. one of the things I read indicated that she ended up because she had to tell a story in her own defense because they mm-hmm. had their own theory of um, the defense had its own so theory. of. She what took happened. the stand um, at this trial. If, if the um, reporting, mm-hmm. the secondhand reporting that I'm reading was accurate right. in where they placed it. So the defense, it looked like they were attempting to show that Wanda was the victim of a setup. That her ex, Tony, wanted custody of their children. And that Wanda's ex and the brother-in-law planned to frame her. And another aspect of it, of this, you know, defense is they said that she was actually just scared of Terry. So that when Mm. they discussed it, she felt like, she had to go along and and oh, that okay. he wanted the payment, so she had to give it. And so mm-hmm. um, they had previously tried to undercut um, Terry's credibility, pointing out mm-hmm. his checkered past, his criminal record, yeah, yeah. Um, his mm-hmm. disturbing the peace, in- intoxication offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's possible that because the, the prosecution... They did what's called pricking the boil. They just came up front with all that early. So when they lead with it and say, yeah, this guy, he's got this past. He's got these problems. Mm -hmm. He did these things. But that doesn't mean we can't count on him to tell us what what he knows now. 
because so now the defense loses the impact of that as a shock for the jury later. That's right. There's no to like undercut him. That's right. Mm -hmm. And the the danger of not pricking the boil is when the other side brings it up. You're like, why Mm -hmm. didn't you bring that up? Why didn't Mm -hmm. you come forward and tell us what else are you hiding? Mm -hmm. So these that's part of the dance that's going on. Um, and so it it's possible that when the jury weighed it, they just got to feel out how much Mm -hmm. credit they wanted to give Terry's testimony Mm -hmm. and how much they felt about listening to the recordings. And so the defense, though, I will say they had some evidence of this theory. Mm-hmm. Terry's wife, Marla, apparently attested that this was the case. No way. Yeah, that they they were using that um, her husband was using the situation to try to get back in with his estranged family. Huh. And that he, quote unquote, wanted to burn that bitch. Um, and that, that's <laughs> Wanda, in quotes. Wanda had so many friends. Apparently, Everybody loved Wanda. But um, from one of the, I wanted to say it was an LA Times article, Mm -hmm. Uh, Marla turned out to not be a very solid witness on the stand. Oh, no. Potentially maybe um, a little loose. um, Loose? Loose in what sense? Maybe. I think it alluded to her possibly being drunk. Oh, no. Like, she might have been just a regular drinker. So she might not have come across as straightforward and put together um but don't quote me on that because it was like kind of what the reporting was saying Mm -hmm. and since we don't have a transcript but all of that like however the witnesses present is going to take um it's it's going to be taken into account by Mm -hmm. the jury yeah who gets to decide and so um whatever fear wanda had of Mm -hmm. terry it doesn't look like from everything i read that she was able to really corroborate that mm. there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like she had told somebody else, I'm so scared in this bad situation right? or in the tapes, they weren't, um, you know, clearly wasn't coming across to the mm-hmm. jury. So she was found guilty. Dope. She was sentenced to 15 years and a $10,000 mm-hmm. fine. Ooh. And uh, it's, it's interesting. The prosecution apparently pushed you know, and the jury agreed. Like, she mm-hmm. didn't sound very afraid in those tapes. Yeah. She sounded like a woman that hated another woman. Yeah, she, and, sounded, she sounded like a bossy pants because she was a bossy pants. And so um, that verdict, as you already know and you uh-huh. probably want to get into, was overturned. Her lawyers filed a motion for new trial, which was granted. It was mm-hmm. on the grounds of juror misconduct. Um, as it turned out... One of the jurors was um, ineligible to serve on the jury. What? And that is because he was on probation for uh-huh. a felony, felony drug offense. And there are um, there are rules. <laughs> so, yeah. so my the, question to you then is how in the hell does a felon on probation end up on a jury? So um, it happens. so it's even in the rules Mm -hmm. um the the texas rules for civil procedure um rule 327 Mm -hmm. talks about juror misconduct where if a juror answers a question uh, misleadingly or incorrectly or lies during it's called voir dire it's like a french word but in texas they will say voir dire yeah and so that's that's what we're gonna say there we go so if during voir dire voir dire your uh your panel the panel uh-huh. of potential jurors does not give you um, an accurate answer. And you find out later, you may have grounds to raise, you know, a challenge and ask for a new trial. Because if you, ha- you, f- you have a juror that was ineligible to serve, mm-hmm. you're probably going to make a pretty good case for why that prejudiced the outcome of your trial. Okay. So, so in- felons are not eligible to serve on juries. Is that what That is correct. Yes. Okay. And so... Um, and he did not, he or she, I'm not sure which, hmm? did not disclose that during the voir dire. Yes. So okay. here it is. Apparently, oh. so um, he was technically ineligible because mm-hmm. of that felony drug arrest. Right. And the, the rules say if you are, um, if you have a felony conviction or under an accusation mm-hmm. of a felony... You are not um, eligible to serve. What is the language? If you are under indictment or criminal charges for a felony or any type of theft, including being on pretrial diversion or deferred adjudication, which is essentially probation, which he was on. 
Okay. So what had happened was, what according happened was. to what I read, um, he had been involved in an, another case and served on a different jury several months earlier mm-hmm. before a judge, apparently, who had assured him that he was not ineligible. So oh. when he was asked in this case, is anybody here mm-hmm. under a disability or you know, um, exempt or ineligible to serve, mm-hmm. he didn't answer because he thought... Because he thought... How? Being on probation or for whatever, um, he thought that the legal advice he had been given before mm-hmm. was was accurate. And so... But pause. Uh-huh. I would love nothing more in my life than to be on a jury. I want it. I want to be it. I want all the juicy information. I want to be sequestered. I don't care what it is. I want to be on a jury. The sausage is made. I want to watch. I want to be involved. How is it that I, who have been a registered voter and an upstanding citizen for all my whole life, haven't gotten called for jury duty once? That guy gets called and picked twice. I know. I don't even know. There is no justice in this world. And so I, this reporting, like, because this is coming from secondhand reporting, I'm like, I want to know more. Yeah. How did he, How? who was this judge what and a... what did they say? And yeah. what was the misunderstanding? Like, what? Um, yeah. And and lo and behold, I, I did look all of my little free routes to research and try to find <laughs> the, <laughs> any, any of the, the any cases, any couldn't of the opinions on this. And yeah. I couldn't. So I'm relying on somebody else's information. Mm-hmm. But, um. There was an interesting little throw those defense attorneys under the bus. Mm. Um, There was an accusation that the defense lawyers knew about Uh. his ineligibility all along. What? And that they just kind of held it close to the chest until they needed to use that information. In case it didn't go their way so they could just throw the whole fucking thing out. That's right. And so, um, Would there be any consequences for those attorneys if it was discovered that that was the case? There is absolutely a requirement of um, candor to the tribunal. Mm -hmm. That means like, for example, if you are arguing before a judge and you know that there is some high authority opinion, some superseding precedent Mm -hmm. that says must rule against you, but you have this other rinky dink case must rule for me. Mm -hmm. You cannot withhold that information from the court. Right. You got to say, judge, the high court says the opposite. You, um, so there is a duty on judges to, Mm -hmm. to come forward with certain information. Um, and it's unclear. It seems like the kind of thing any sour grapes would say because Mm -hmm. they had already gone through all of the expense of the trial and the drama. Mm -hmm. It was a national and internationally followed case. It was everywhere. Everybody was just fascinated with this, with the pom-pom mom. And like this woman who was willing to commit murder over cheerleading. Cheerleading? Yes, cheerleading. (gasps) Movie rights. And it didn't didn't help that that Miss Wanda was dragging poor Shanna around the talk show circuit during Mm -hmm. this whole thing. They were on Donahue. I mean, yeah. I, I think they did Sally oh. Jesse Raphael. Like, they were oh. in it. Oh, that poor girl, Shanna. Oh, my God. So right? I will say, I read it, and I'm like, oh, okay, so I'll disclose that that happened. But my first thought was everybody had the same access to the juror list. Mm-hmm. They could do the same research. They were all in the same courtroom when the panelists were questioned. Right. And so everybody must have been equally reasonably assured because you go through, those are questions you want to know. Mm-hmm. And the prosecution wants to thoroughly vet that because they don't want all their effort to get sunk down right. the drain. Exactly. So interestingly, uh, because not everybody will know, um, in most states, a felon cannot serve on the jury. Okay. That's a most state thing. And again, that is a decision made by your legislature mm-hmm. or in some cases based on the Constitution for you are um, entitled by the Constitution uh, to a jury of your peers to be tried by a jury. But the okay. qualifications on the jurors mm-hmm. is something that is also established separately by law. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Texas, you must be at least 18, okay. be a citizen, mm-hmm. reside in the county of service, okay. be qualified to vote, even if you are not a registered voter. Mm-hmm. You must be able to read and write which may have been a difficulty at some times. Yeah, yeah. And be of sound mind and good moral character. Um, you cannot serve 
if you've served as a juror for six days during the preceding three months um, in county court or during the preceding six months of district court, if you've Mm -hmm. been convicted of a felony or any type of theft, Mm -hmm. or if you're under indictment or criminal charges for a felony or or any type of theft. So um, I guess the reason I bring that up is that ties into why in most states, um, people have justified keeping felons off the jury. There's this mm-hmm. notion of character is right. uh, one of the driving mm-hmm. um, justifications that felons don't have the the character or moral standing necessarily because their conviction shows mm-hmm. they flouted the government and authority. And like, that's a whole conversation as it to is. whether whether felons like once you you've been convicted of a felony you you can't vote and mm-hmm. apparently you can't serve on a jury because you're a bad person and you're a bad person forever and ever and like I do not agree it is a real conversation yeah. that should be had because um I get it I get for line drawing purposes mm-hmm. there's this idea that you know if you just want to say as a very black and white matter mm-hmm. uh, the law you know, you have to always show respect for the law. And are you going to adhere to the to the judge's requirements and, you know, instructions mm-hmm. in following the rules? Okay, I can see. But the problem with such a line being drawn is you can't really look at the facts and the circumstances. Right. And the second justification is equally mired in that kind of difficult sauce. Um, it's bias. Mm-hmm. There's a belief that um, the felon will be pro-defendant, that they will have a bias, either a sympathy for the defense Mm -hmm. or an antipathy for the prosecution. Yeah. And so, and that takes a really broad brush, right? That just assumes about so many people. But when you're making rules, you you really do paint with a broader brush. Mm -hmm. Um, I ran across in looking into this um, in other states, an interesting counterpoint. There are actually some jurisdictions that for the same bias reason, don't allow law enforcement to be jurors. I was about to say, is is the other side of the coin represented in this situation? They tend to be pro-prosecution. Yeah. um, But they are generally not barred from Mm. being jurors. Hmm. And so that Hmm. I thought was an interesting little, we should have that you know, um, we should have that going in the background of our minds yeah. that when people are convicted, there are these disabilities that follow them. And um, one of them being your service on a jury. Mm-hmm. And in this case, um, it resulted in a new trial. Yeah. So and so getting back to Wanda, her, her trial and her conviction found guilty and sentenced to 15 years. Uh, yep. That's all out the window. We got to start from scratch. That's right. Okay. And so before Scratch had really started, um, (laughs) before um, her second trial began, Mm -hmm. she pleaded no contest. Um, It was the basis of a plea agreement. Okay. So she was sentenced to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so um, apparently both sides felt like they were getting the raw end of the deal. Okay. And um, the, the Heaths apparently initially agreed to this plea agreement because it was a case where they were allowed to um, weigh in. Mm. But the prosecutors were like, Hey, what's really messed up is she could be paroled at like six months. And apparently that happened. So then after six months, she was placed on probation. Six months. Six months. And so then she had a nine and a half year probation and ordered to serve 1,000 hours of community service. And and that was that. And she she has been walking free yes. ever since. And she probably watched Cheer right along with us. Oh, God. And had a whole different set of feelings a about it. A very different, I think, experience <laughs> for Miss Wanda Holloway. Um, I was reading about some of the just like the where are they nows a little bit. Um, mainly focusing on the girls. I really don't care what Wanda's doing right now. Um, But like Amber and Shanna really try to act like nothing happened. It was chilling. I read that. Shanna said she ended up having a relationship with her mom for Mm -hmm. years after because if it didn't happen, 
then there was nothing to affect your relationship. Mm-hmm. Wow. If you I just mean, pretend that your mom didn't almost go to jail for a really long time because she actually wanted a teenage girl's mother killed badly enough yeah. to arrange it and pay it with her own jewelry. Just pretend that didn't happen. Just it look, it was really making Christmas awkward. Yeah. Thanksgiving was super uncomfortable. Can't even eat Heath bars anymore. <laughs> oh man, it, I thought it was such a compelling story. And thinking about <laughs> the the jurors and the jury process, um, I always find that fascinating. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. You can never tell. It's it seems like you might be able to classify people by their background, right? Or, you know, by their vocations and make assumptions about how they're going to lean. Mm-hmm. And I think people are always surprising. I got to watch a mock jury once, Oh yeah, a mock trial. Uh-huh. And it's where um, people were paid to be part of a focus group, hmm. but instead it's it was a trial. Huh. And so they were told, hey, we're going to put you in these different groups. So there were a couple juries. Mm-hmm. And then there was a presentation, somebody who was giving the, the plaintiff side, mm-hmm. somebody giving the defendant side. And then we got to watch <gasps> like flies on the wall when the jurors deliberated and what? they went back with instructions. Oh my God. I will say not only do we like make miscalculations and how mm-hmm. we view people from the outside, it's amazing watching people in the same room make miscalculations about who they can push and persuade huh. and turn. Oh, is it, it all, all 12 angry men up in that piece? Is that what is, so is? it's, it's funny. There are some people that are going to find a way or, and I'm just taking, I'm extrapolating from this mm-hmm. experience. There were um, folks that tried to take their own experience and right. kind of shove it into the lens of what was happening. Huh. And then there were those that were very serious, mm-hmm. like, stop doing that. We're looking at this mm-hmm. and we're looking at it coming from this way. But there was um, one woman in particular that just I, I became enamored because as it was going around, I think somebody even said, oh, we'll get her. Like, we'll get her to switch sides. And she just quietly leaned back, mm-hmm. crossed her arms. And I was like, oh, there is not a soul on the planet that is going to move this woman. That mountain has taken root. And she, yes. And she just calmly, rationally was like, I counted to three. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> so, I admire that kind of like that steadfastness to be able to go, you know what? Breathe. And wait, I can't do yes. that. I'm not real good at it. Perfectly resolute. Mm-hmm. She was just nice. like, I've thought it through. Here's my why. And I'm about done with you. And so <laughs> it made me realize, too, that even in these situations where some people are, you know, are persuadable, some mm-hmm. people are not persuadable. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell when you're picking a jury who might have that little seed right. in them. So crazy. Those are my two cents. That's my. That's amazing. Turkey jerky. What I what I love about this uh, is that this is our first episode where nobody dies. I know. <gasps> Do you see that? And we got to learn a whole new category of crimes. <laughs> it's awesome, isn't it? Nice when nobody dies. I I freaking love that, and I love the fact that if somebody were to be out there plotting to put one over on me because mm. my kids are cute and might get a spot on the rah-rah team or whatever. Right. But that shit is not allowed. <laughs> it is illegal as long as somebody tells the damn cops, Terry. My gosh. Yeah, I mean, it took him a minute, but he did it, but yeah. lowered. But seriously. Yeah. Yeah. For real. I mean, <sighs> I love all my friends, but the moment one of those people are like, hey, can you help me try to commit a murder? Um, <laughs> no. No, but stay on the line just a minute while yeah. I try to call some adults on you. <laughs> you know that joke that like friends uh, will help you move, but best friends will help you move bodies? Yeah. I'm not helping anybody move a body. Don't don't put me in that position. I love you, my best friends in the world. I will metaphorically help you move a body. Like I will theoretically. Uh, no, I won't even do that because then what? I will I, watch I'll your get... trial. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will show up in the public courtroom and how about, watch. How about this? I probably might not testify against you, 
but please just don't even bring it to me because why would you no. make that be, for, go from a probably might not to a definitely will? Like, why would you? I mean, why? Oh. Yeah. And how about this, people? We we can just move forward and tiptoe through the tulips mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. committing any ding dang murders. How about we just don't kill people? How, how about, about that? that? How about just that? Just how about that? Hey, so we totally meant to record the outro of the show together, but we got all excited about the fact that nobody died this time, and well, we forgot. Sorry about that. Moving on. If you are enjoying the show, please hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review that'll make our hearts go pity pat, and a five-star rating to trick the iTunes algorithm into thinking that we are super cool, even when we're not. You can find us on all the social medias at OSWPod, y'all. That's at O-S-W-P-O-D-Y-A-L-L. Or you can email us at outlawsandscornedwomen at gmail.com. As always, we are not investigators or journalists. We just crib off of their good work. So links to our sources will be posted in the show notes. And I think that's it. So y'all have a good one and we'll see you next time.